Welcome to Preaching at Trinity. Preaching at Trinity is the podcast of the sermons preached at Trinity Baptist Church of Westfield, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this series of messages preached by Pastor Minton on what it means to be moved with compassion. Here is our senior pastor at Trinity Baptist Church, Dr. Daniel Minton. All right. Well, we'll begin this message. My intention has been to complete it, although I just rehearsed it a couple times and didn't even get to my third point by the 45-minute mark. So, we might have to adjust things in real time. I knew I was biting uh, biting off a lot, as we're going to look at three, or maybe (laughs) look at three parables of Jesus Christ. As we've been studying how Christ was moved with compassion... As I mentioned, the very first week, there are 13 times that that appears uh, in some form in the New Testament, well, in the Gospels, actually, in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Three times it appears that Jesus is moved with compassion, with the exception of these three, where it says Jesus is telling a story or a parable in which he says someone is moved with compassion. So 10 times Christ himself is moved Often, as we've looked, stopping what he's doing to address the need before him. And three times where he tells an incredible parable about that very thing. The reason Jesus tells stories is because people love stories. They delight us as children as we hear about far-off lands and adventures and dreams. And the reason we love stories so much is because we each have one. Our our lives are stories of who we are and what we've experienced and even what we hope to accomplish. Stories also sometimes help us escape reality. But they also bring us, or they bring reality into great perspective. As David was living in pride and hiding his sin, it was a story that broke his heart. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered his own friend in an an attempt to cover it up. For months he hid his sin from others, although I'm sure that people had their suspicions. Everyone was afraid to approach David and talk about the real issue, and in his pride he was confident until one day the prophet Nathan came and told him a story. The story of a poor family who was abused by their rich neighbor. The poor family had but one little lamb that lived in their home, and yet the wealthy neighbor had flocks, hundreds. And instead of taking one, one lamb or one sheep from his own flocks, the wealthy neighbor stole the sheep from that poor family. David was so enraged at the injustice that he foolishly cried out for brutal punishment upon the selfish neighbor. At that, the wise prophet Nathan told David, you are that man. Immediately, David was humbled and broken over his pride and his own selfish sin. A story broke David of his pride broke him of his hard heart and his self-love. And today, we'll look at three stories told by Jesus to induce us to recognize our own arrogance and self-love. In all three stories, someone is moved with compassion and responds, and here's the key, they respond like 
Christ. That's the whole point, including them. Ten times Christ responded with compassion or was moved. His heart was transformed by compassion and he acted upon it. And in all three of these stories, the people who are compassionate, they represent Christ. So let's look at the first, Matthew chapter 18. The great passage for the church on forgiveness. Matthew 18, verse 21. And as I said, these are all long parables. And I'm going to breeze over a lot of the details and minor things in the parable so that we can hone in on the, the, the truth surrounding the compassion in each one of these stories. So Matthew 18, verse 21. Let's read, if you would read with me. Jesus is, like usual, he's being attacked. And he's going to bring up the matter of forgiveness. In fact, Peter is actually going to bring up the matter of forgiveness Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will repay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved and came and told their master and all, all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And so we have what we call the parable of the unmerciful servant. And yet in it, it's Christ's compassion that is driving to complete forgiveness. Of course, we have the, the preliminary account here where Peter presents to Jesus a very grace-filled suggestion. Now, to us, this doesn't look very, very graceful because Peter suggests that we forgive someone up to seven times. Now, the reason that's grace is because the law demanded three forgivenesses. The, the, the legal structure, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Pharisaical system or the, the Jewish tradition requires that you forgive someone three times. So I have no doubt 
that Peter in his mind is thinking, all right, I know that whenever Jesus does something, it's, it's like twice as gracious as everyone else. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Instead of saying six, I'm going to go a little further. I'll say seven. It's the number of perfection as, as well. So I'll just say seven. And then Jesus says, no, how about 490 times? All right. And it's not about the numbers that matter. Jesus is trying to highlight that what true forgiveness really is. It's not a, a, a box that gets checked Right? Oh, that's, that's one, two, three, four times. Wow, am I gracious here. Peter, I have no doubt, Peter thought, I got this one. <laughs> and Jesus turns it completely on its, on its head. And the reason is because we have misconceptions about forgiveness. As sinners who desperately want forgiveness from people, we still have very poor understanding of what forgiveness is. And so we have all kinds of misconceptions, and, and Peter has one here, right? We, we have the misconception that there are times when forgiveness is not necessary. We do. We, we base our forgiveness on the genuineness, often, of the person asking, right? Did, let me assess, in my mind, did they really really super duper mean that that ask or that request for forgiveness i'll forgive them if i can verify in my mind that they genuinely are asking and if i don't think they're genuinely asking then i i don't have to forgive them we think things like that how backward from the forgiveness of christ the crucifiers of jesus did the most unspeakable, unforgivable, unthinkable act in putting God to death, the Son of God. And yet, what did Jesus cry out in Luke 23? Father, forgive them. In fact, they never even asked to be forgiven. Yet Christ forgave them. Mark 11:26 26 says, If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Another misconception is that there's a limit to forgiveness, right? That's what Peter is under the impression because that's what the rabbis taught. You have to forgive three times. Three times and you're out. See, they follow baseball rules. And Peter on this, he goes out on, a, on an extra step like, yeah, I'm going to show great. I know Jesus is going to be more gracious than the, than the rabbis. So he jumps ahead to seven and Jesus says, not seven, but 70 times seven. And it's not meant to be a number. We know that. It's not meant to be a number that we keep track of. It's a, it's a number that's just astronomically large when you're talking about somebody who has wronged you, that you would forgive them hundreds and hundreds of times. That's so foreign to us. That, that you would repeatedly forgive someone who repeatedly abuses and mistreats you. And yet that's what Jesus Christ is presenting here, this forgiveness that's complete. And a third misconception I already mentioned is that people must ask for forgiveness. And yet, as Christ is on the cross, he doesn't wait for his Roman oppressors to ask 
for forgiveness. He doesn't wait for the religious leaders to plead with him to forgive them for what they've done. In fact, we even know the centurion at the conclusion of the crucifixion recognizes that what he did was wrong, and yet it was too late for him to ask, for Christ was dead. Christ had already forgiven him, though. In fact, that was the whole point. He hung on the cross for that centurion servant. And so what are the lessons of genuine forgiveness here in this parable that Jesus is trying to drive home? And notice it's all around compassion, but it's built around the compassion here in this parable, the compassion of the king. And so we see that forgiveness here is necessary. It's necessary for all. In fact, uh, this is not the point of the parable, but it seems like all the servants in this parable are in debt. That's kind of the point. They're all in debt. They're all in need of mercy here. They're all in need of compassion. The first one, the one that we call the unmerciful servant, is is so in debt that he could never repay it. 10,000 talents. Now, it depends on how you weigh or measure the talent. A talent is 75 pounds. So this could be 75, what we would equate to 75 pounds of gold. So we're talking billions of dollars in in today's terms. And the the dollar amount does not matter. The whole point is the sum that the servant owes is never something he could pay back. It's so far above what a a, a normal person would be able to pay that that the debt is astronomical. It is beyond the understanding even of this servant. It's necessary. And of course, there's a day of judgment coming where all of us will stand before the king and we will be assessed for the great debt, the sin debt that we owe that we could never pay. And so there's kind of multiple things going on in this parable. I'm not saying, and I don't think, that this parable is about salvation. It's about forgiveness. But, but it also highlights the salvation, the sin debt that we owe to the king. And so here there's this great need and the unjust servant recognizes his need. In fact, verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Well, first of all, he asks not for forgiveness, but patience. And yet the king will give forgiveness to him, what he doesn't even request. Again, highlighting That sometimes our misconception of forgiveness means you only get forgiveness when you ask for it. He didn't even ask for it here. And yet the king was, because of compassion, desiring to give forgiveness. He wanted to forgive his servant. But he just asked for time, patience to pay back the debt, which is something he could never do. And so here the forgiveness, it's necessary Forgiveness is his need here, not time. It's also unlimited in verse 26. Verse 27 then, the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. And so it's unlimited, the forgiveness here. It's not, he didn't say, I'll forgive you within a a reasonable amount. I'll even forgive you 9,000 talents, but you still owe me the ten. 
He doesn't say, I'll forgive you and release you from prison and you could go back to work so that you can kind of work off some of the debt. Let's create a payment plan here. He doesn't. He forgives him all the debt. Everything. It's done completely. And the king gives him what he doesn't deserve. And he gives him more than he asks. There's a complete eraser of of, of the debt. It's also done in, in faith. The, the king simply grants it. The unmerciful servant simply receives it. No conditions. Nothing can be repaid that day. Nothing is asked. We see it's given freely. Verse 27. The master of the servant was moved with compassion. Compassion is what compels the king to forgive. The, the king gains nothing in favor. He, he gains no profit whatsoever from this forgiveness. And oh, isn't that an incredible lesson for us? When we are presented with an opportunity to forgive, often we want to forgive on the condition that we benefit from that forgiveness. And here the king gains no benefit. The only person who benefits from this is the servant, the person who is being forgiven. And what a great lesson for us. The king here obviously represents God and the servants represent us. There's no prerequisite, no disclaimers added. Forgiveness is granted in totality. And so what are some of the lessons of compassion here? Which, which they are. They're lessons, we could say they're lessons of forgiveness, but again, the forgiveness is based upon this moving of the heart towards compassion. And so the compassion and forgiveness of Christ is a display of grace. It's unmerited favor. Nothing is deserved here. And in, we see that then in the next uh, in the next. Uh, part of the story, verse 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is 100 days wage. So a very measurable amount. Takes a hundred working days and this debt would be gone. It would be paid back. But what does the unmerciful servant do? He laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant, and then we see the exact mirror of what we already read when, the, when this servant was standing before the king. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And so the compassion and the forgiveness of Christ is a display of grace and unmerited favor. Here the unmerciful servant is willing to accept forgiveness, but he is unwilling to extend forgiveness. And I don't know if there's a more appropriate picture of our own hearts sometimes than that very statement. We all desperately want to be forgiven. We seek it, we desire it, we're often ashamed to ask for it, but we hope for it. We expect it even. We expect people to extend us mercy because we love ourselves so much that we think we deserve it. 
And then when presented with an opportunity to show mercy and forgiveness and compassion ourselves, we are so stingy. And so here the unmerciful servant is cruel. He's abusive. He grabs him by the neck. He demands payment. He's impatient because, again, here, the man just, he doesn't ask for forgiveness. He just asks for time. Be patient with me, and I'll repay you. And he is impatient. He refuses to give even the smallest request of time. And again, it's the exact same words that that appeared from the king or before the king. And many poor sinners are rich in resolutions, but they're empty in forgiveness. What I mean by that is there's times where we think, I would be happy to extend mercy and forgiveness here. I would show pity and compassion on this. And then when the, when the situation or a slightly different situation presents itself, we're stingy and we withhold it. We're slighted and our pride wells up and we feel that the person does not deserve our forgiveness. And so that's where we find ourselves, just like this unmerciful servant in verse 30 says, he would not. It's a selfish refusal. And so here the unmerciful servant is willing to accept it, but he's not willing to extend forgiveness. Also, the compassion of the king should have compelled the unmerciful servant to follow the example, and it doesn't. This should have been so recognizable in his own life that he recognized the exact situation he's in now is reminiscent of him standing before the king when he received this grand forgiveness, this this almost unmeasurable forgiveness. He should have recognized the exact parallel to his situation, but he doesn't. And lest we be too hard on the unmerciful servant, We do the same thing. For we have stood before Christ with a sin debt that is far greater than 10,000 talents. And Christ, because he's moved with compassion, forgave us all of the debt. And then when one poor sinner, one poor fellow sinner stands before us, we're stingy and we hold back forgiveness and we hold back compassion because we don't feel they deserved it. The truth is, they didn't. They don't, just like we didn't. And so I ask you, how have you done the same? How sad that we can see petty, unmerciful Christians do the same thing. How ashamed that I am of myself when I think back to times when I was that shallow and wicked and unforgiving. We should be broken of our own failings to show compassion, especially when we stop and we remember the immense sin debt that Christ forgave of each one of us. The second lesson we can learn from compassion is that compassion and forgiveness is necessary for God's continued blessing. Now again, this is not, although there are, there are illusions here, it's alluded that this is uh, obviously saved and, and unsaved people here 
that are dealing with the king. That's not the point of the parable. The parable is on compassion and forgiveness. And yet we see here that the unmerciful servant is undeserving of blessing from the king because of his own repentant, unrepentant, unmerciful heart. And so it's not a parable about salvation. It's a parable about forgiveness. But the protection and the blessing of the king is no longer granted to this unprofitable servant. The unmerciful and compassionless actions of the, of the servant means he should no longer expect mercy and forgiveness from the king. And so the king, in the story, throws him into prison because he's been so uncaring. He's been so unlike the king that he no longer has the protection of the king. And so forgiveness we see here forgiveness restores fellowship. Right? It was the forgiveness of the king that restored the fellowship of the unmerciful servant that gave him his freedom and his family's freedom back that allowed him to continue to live in the kingdom free as, as a citizen. Forgiveness restored his fellowship with the king. Forgiveness cleansed him and it placed him on a path of blessing. And the same is true with us before God. We already read one passage about this. Can I read two more though? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, or chapter 2, verse 7 to 10 says this. So that on the contrary, this is speaking to the church, Paul speaking to the church here, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. This is speaking of a brother who's fallen into sin. And so Paul is urging the church to forgive this sinful church member. He says, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test. Whether you are, are obedient in all things, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. And so he's sitting here. Paul is pointing out that Christ has forgiven us. And who are we as sinners to continue to condemn other sinners when Christ has forgiven them? James chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. You're probably familiar with this one, or at least the tail end. It says that the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now notice these words we know. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now we know that and we, we love that last part of the verse. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we quote that when we're in need of prayer. We quote that as a church sometimes when we need it. But notice what the context is. The context is forgiving someone else. And so he says, confess your trespass to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Meaning, we should be forgiving one another and in our forgiveness, asking that person to pray for us. Can I tell you a secret? You, you can't help but turn an enemy to an ally when you pray for them and pray for their heart. 
You're struggling to forgive someone, and I'm going to speak from personal experience on this. You're struggling to forgive someone, start praying for them. And let God change your heart. We can't hide bitterness in our heart and pray for someone at the same time. Let God change your heart on this. Pray for those who have despitefully used you, hurt you. Pray for them. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The third thing that this teaches us is that a true servant of God shows compassion. In fact, it's implied that's the, the point of the story. You can't have the forgiveness without the compassion. It's the compassion that moves the king to forgive. And so as a personal recipient of grace, how are you withholding compassion from other people? In fact, let's put it in the context of the church, which is, I think, where it's often intended here. Within the church, are you withholding compassion from other people? And in doing it, it's infecting your heart with unforgiveness. Or prefer, maybe you prefer the positive. I do. How is Christ's compassionate heart seen in your forgiveness of others? Or how have others forgiven you and displayed Christ's compassion for which you are very thankful. And so this story, this parable is incredible in showing us the heart of God, this compassionate heart that longs to forgive. We've got another story that does the exact same thing in Luke chapter 15. Would you turn there? In fact, we're going to progress from one parable, the least popular parable, to the most popular parable. And so we have now the parable of the prodigal son. Very famous. Loved and longed to be understood by us at times. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I'm in the wrong gospel. I found a 15. The parable wasn't there though. There we go. Luke 15 Again, a very long story. I'll read it. Bear with me. Verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him 
and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his, his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called out, uh, called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he, was received him, because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And so we have, again, a very clear story of forgiveness. And again, clear representation. The father represents God. The son represents us. Or rather, the sons. In fact, I ask you, which son best represents you. The first son here has rejected his father and in, in shameful rebellion he asks for his inheritance before it is rightfully his. It's not really his until his dad dies. So him, in him asking for the inheritance, he's basically saying, I would rather have the inheritance than have you, dad. I mean, this is shameful. He, he turns from the one who loves and cares for him, thinking that he'll enjoy life better without his father. He thinks he knows best, and so he leaves home, and he leaves his land. He leaves, therefore, his faith. And this is horrific. Imagine if you were a Jewish uh, listener. This flies in the face of all of your culture and all of your upbringing. This son is worthy to be dead. Right? And in fact... In Jewish law, he could have been killed. His life is, is wicked. He ruins his life in self-indulgence. It's shameful. It brings rebellion as he wastes his life and he seeks enjoyment in life through sin. In fact, later in the story, when the older brother points out what the younger brother did, the, the older brother is absolutely correct. He's wasted his life and his inheritance with harlots. He's wicked. He's ungodly. He has sought enjoyment in life through sin. In fact, he goes so far as to find pleasure free from restraint of his father's house, free from the restraint of his own country and his own religion. He has gone far in self-indulgence. And he's turned his back on his father and his father's teaching. 
He's turned his back on his father who knows best, and he brings ruin to his own life. Until he changed his mind. Which, of course, represents repentance. A change of mind that results in a change of action. And so at his lowest point in life, when his life has been brought to complete ruin by his own doing, in fact, he finds himself feeding pigs something again. Jesus is using this story to bring to light the wickedness of the sons. And he's not only created this story of this son who's left his household, who's abandoned his faith and his family, he's also gone to the most vile uh, defiling component a pig farmer which is absolutely abhorrent to the jews he is feeding pigs and longing to eat the food of the pigs this son is absolutely defiled and so at his lowest point he remembers and what is it he remembers he remembers the compassion of his father Verse 17, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, and this is a, this is a humbling, self-defacing honesty. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this is about salvation. And it's about the forgiveness and the compassion of God the Father when we come before him and we, we recognize our wickedness and our absolute inability, undesirability to be called even a servant and yet he pleads for mercy. He pleads for forgiveness. He acknowledges his own foolishness and he seeks any form of reconciliation that his father would permit, right? He's asking for the lowest servant's role. The bare minimum. He'll take it. And we have his recovery then by the father as he's finally ready to walk away from his, his sins, he plans to become a servant, an unworthy servant. He plans to beg before the Father. He's completely broken. And then we have the, the Father, who's been absolutely disrespected, as we already mentioned in leaving the home the son humiliates the entire family publicly everyone would know the rebellion of the son they would know the wickedness of the son here and and just in, in case you were wondering his rebellion was punishable by death according to not the law of the pharisees and the scribes but the law of god deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 18 if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son what he's to do is to take him before the rulers of the, of the gate and the father and the mother are to say, my son is stubborn and rebellious. And notice Deuteronomy 21, 21 says, all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. That's the demand of the law. Death by stoning. 
And instead, the father gave him his inheritance and allowed him to leave. And now we find this, the father who could have stopped it in a sense. He could have stopped it. He could have taken the shame. He could have denounced his son. He could have held a funeral according to Jewish tradition, washed away the stain of his son. But he didn't. Instead, we find the father looking down the road. Verse 20 my favorite verse of this parable. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. That's the compassion of Jesus Christ. The father is looking for his son. He is with anticipation, waiting to extend, hoping, longing for an opportunity to extend forgiveness. The Father, as I said, represents God who is waiting for sinners. And first, He allows the sinner to leave and enjoy His rebellion. He doesn't force Himself upon Him. He is not a tyrant. And yet He is looking with hope and expectation for the return of the Son. He is eager to be compassionate. He is eager to forgive. And His forgiveness is total. Verse 22, in fact, if you notice the words of what the son asks of the father, he doesn't even get to the full extent of his repentance. He's got this whole speech that he's prepared to give to the father, and the father basically ignores his speech. He is so greatly desiring to show compassion, he doesn't even respond to the, to the wicked, uh, wicked son's prepared speech. The father interrupts. The son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even say, please make me like one of your hired servants. I'll take the lowest position. I'll clean the cattle trough every day. without." He never says any of that. The father turns and says to the servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. He immediately establishes his, reestablishes his wealth. He gives him all of his provisions and then he desires to celebrate with not just the calf, the, the fatted calf. The, the most valuable of all the livestock, the one that would bring the father the greatest investment or return on his investment, he wants to use it now in celebration over his son. And that's how the father, the heavenly father, responds with us. With great anticipation, he's looking down the road, desiring to show compassion and forgiveness, longing to restore us. And so here, this father kisses and hugs his son. There's no berating there's not even a, necessarily a, a mentioning of his sin. He never once mentions it again in the story. He celebrates his son return. He restores him completely. And yet the story's not over because there's still a, an older brother. And I remind you that neither one of the brothers, the younger or the older, had any respect for the father. One, the younger, is a flagrant external sinner 
And the other, the older brother, is a bitter, self-righteous man with a thin veneer of politeness. And so the older brother resents his brother, but he doesn't just resent his brother, he resents his father. In fact, I'll go so far as to say there's no difference between the sons. If anything, I would say the older is worse and has been worse than the younger. The sin of the prodigal son is pride. He loves himself and he loves his lusts and he doesn't care if anyone knows it. The older son loves his pride and he loves his own self-image and he attempts to hide it. He attempts to hide his sin with hypocrisy. He does not love his brother. He does not love the father. He only cares for his own comfort and his own enjoyment in life. He's just hidden it behind a supposed righteousness. And of course, in this story, the parable, the older brother represents all the religious leaders who are standing before Jesus, who have kept the law. In fact, added extra laws just to be extra righteous. But in their hearts, they're hard, they're unforgiving, they do not respect the Father. And so it's a, a lesson of comparisons. That God loves sinners he hates as they live in sin, but He redeems them as sinners. And the lesson of compassion here is, is surrounded by this repentance and brokenness. The Son was allowed to indulge in His sins unhindered, and the Father lovingly waited for His Son to return. But the Son needed to repent. He needed to leave the pigsty and return to the Father. He needed to return broken to the Father. And there's a lesson of forgiveness of the Father being complete and restorative. The Father is longing to give compassion here. Looking for His Son to return. Waiting with anticipation to give compassion. And not just restore His Son. I think it's, if we're talking about fairness, it would have been more than fair for the Father to embrace his son and say you're right i'll let you be one of my servants and if that was the story we all would have sat here and said that was more than fair boy that's pretty forgiving in fact we could have even said that the father had not been looking and the father had been sitting in his home and the son reappears and he says welcome back son yes i'll let you serve you can be one of the lowest servants that would have been fair. That would have been more than fair. And yet, we have this story of the Father going so far above what is fair. Oh, in this world, do we love fairness. We long, we fight for fairness. Christ isn't fair. He's compassionate. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He extends mercy and forgiveness. And so to match the heart of God, which is what He has called every one of us to do, He has called us to match the heart of God. Of course, we can't. But through His grace, can we also extend mercy that represents the mercy of the Father? Can we not have our hearts moved with compassion so that we extend forgiveness 
the way the Father extends forgiveness. And in order to do this, we must display the brokenness of our own self-worth, for we are all prodigals. And quite possibly, we also represent the older son who love our self-righteousness, who do not deem ourselves to be as wicked as the other sinners around us. We don't need mercy like they need mercy. We don't, they don't deserve it. But we do. We've earned it. That's fair. And yet Christ in His fairness, or rather in His compassion, doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us so much more. So to be like Christ means we long to extend compassion and we long to extend forgiveness. And so I ask you in closing, do you desire other sinners to turn to the Heavenly Father for forgiveness and redemption like the prodigal son? Do you long to extend the compassion of Christ to others and let me ask you, how? How do you long to extend compassion like Christ? Let's pray. We hope that today's message has challenged you spiritually and has been an encouragement to you in your walk with the Lord. For more information about Trinity Baptist Church, or if you have questions about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us on our website at tbcwestfield.com or on Facebook or Instagram at tbcwestfield. Thank you so much for listening today. Join us again next time for more Preaching at Trinity.